Welcome to Soul Inspired Leadership's latest podcast. And today my guest is Mark C. Crowley, and he's the author of the book Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. So we'll be discussing many of those aspects during our chat today. Now, just a bit about Mark. He spent 25 years as an executive leader in the financial services industry before leaving to write the original version of this book. His last role was as Senior Vice President and National Sales Manager for Investment Products at one of the, America's largest financial institutions, where he was named Leader of the Year. So he practices what he preaches, I'm sure. <laughs> Today, he's a global speaker and a consultant to organisations seeking to transform their cultures, elevate their employee engagement, and coach their managers to new ways of leading and managing. Mark is a regular contributor to Fast Company magazine, and his work has been published by US Today, The Huffington Post, Seattle Times, Forbes, Thrive Global, Reuters, The Great Place to Work Institute, and Gallup. He's also a host of, or the host of the Lead from the Heart podcast. Mark is also a member of the Marshall Goldsmiths 100 Coaches community and a graduate of the University of California, San Diego and the Pacific Coast Banking School at the University of Washington. Now, it was over a decade ago, Mark first was first to assert that traditional leadership practices weren't just failing, they were profound har doing profound harm to people. Now, I can agree with that. Signs were already clear that workers were neither engaged nor happy in their jobs, and that the era of working just for a paycheck had ended. How true that is, Mark, I can tell you. So let's lead into it. The book discusses that leadership practices are now outdated, going from the industrialised revolution, which was focused on manufacturing process and only requiring unskilled labour, to now a technical vibrant age that requires creativity, more sophisticated thinkers, and, and that list goes on. So why does critical leadership, why does that, critical leadership gap seem to get wider. In other words, the leadership's got to change from that industrialised, just like employees have got to change. And then the employees are changing, but I don't think, and I believe you're the same, is that leadership's following suit. So is that actually making the gap wider? Why is it not getting, running along concurrently or congruently with the change in workplace? It's a great question to start off with because it's it's perplexing to me, to be honest with you, um, because it's so obvious that what we're doing isn't working. Mm. That you would think that there would be tremendous curiosity about, hey, what could we do differently? How could we how could we manage people differently? Instead, what I'm seeing, and you know, this whole we've talked a little bit offline here about whether or not to let people work from home or you know, on a permanent basis mm. or bring them in full time or hybrid and all these discussions. And you know what I'm seeing is is CEOs in some cases, they're they're almost treating their workers like adversaries. Mm. Like those bastards, you know, they got away with working from home <laughs> for COVID and now they want to keep working. And like, this is the attitude. And oh. so I, I look at it and I just think, okay, we're doomed if you start off with that as a premise, right? Mm. If you can't look at your employees and say, that group of people out there is my business and those mm. people matter to me. But what happens is, and this has been a 50 year problem, we have deferred to shareholders. 
and shareholders don't get leadership. All they uh, care about uh, is the bottom line. Yeah, and yeah. so they think ignorantly that if you, and I'm going to speak in the vernacular here because it's, it's late in my day and I'm a little tired, so I'm a little bit loose. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, really what they think is, is that, you know, caring about workers is going to cost them money. They think yeah. this is all bullshit. And if they understood that there's an actually better way of managing people that's aligned to human nature, that they would actually get greater returns. Yeah, I agree. There's evidence yeah. of this. There's proof of this. But we're so locked in to the attitude of pay people as little as possible, squeeze as much out of them as possible. That's the way you make a business run. Mm. And it could be more run, wrong. So I think it's over a century of managing people this way, yeah. Ross. It's hard to overcome. And then the worst thing is CEOs get to the top. And someone like me or you comes in and mm. goes, you know, the way you're managing is not effective. In fact, it's doing harm because we have millions of people quitting every month. Right. So you should consider changing how you lead. And they go, what are you talking about? I got to the top by managing this way, right? right. Like, don't be telling me to change. So then the next guy comes up or gal and then you tell him or her and they go, well, what are you talking about? I made it to the top. And right. so it's survival of the fittest, all these casualties, but um, but I do think that with all the cynicism that I've just expressed, there's there's got to be a moment of a tipping point. And I used to think CEOs are going to read this book and they're going to understand the science and they're going to go, wow, like we've got a blueprint. We've got a formula. All yeah. we need to do is just follow his way. And that hasn't happened for the reasons that I just mentioned, their own egos, their own defensiveness around, I've always done it this way, we've always done it this way, but it's bottom up that's changing it. When employees aren't getting what they need, they're not sticking around. And that's really the first time in history that that's happening. Yeah, yeah, We're leaving yeah. in such numbers. That, that affects the bottom line. And that, that that affects the bottom line. I mean, it does. Always, and that, that, that's where the real cost is going to be, not in not in pampering like to this new way of leading, but the fact is the turnover is very very expensive. It's yeah. look, and that's one of the things that uh, there's some we we'll touch on here is, is some of the research because that's that's some of the thing I see is that now you've and this is why I think this book will be uh, something that a lot of people will read and look back on as a turning point because you've compiled the research that actually is there. So this is not just your thoughts or my thoughts. Right. You've actually validated scientific research says all that, right? Um, so I think that's the critical key to get to turn some of the naysayers. Look, uh, next. So what I enjoyed reading in the book was, the, as I said, the research that's available to support leading from the heart. And there's one thing right at the beginning that I particularly uh, interests me you're saying that the heart has a, has a mind. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it goes back to everything that you were just saying. So when I started, the, when I set out to write the book, I had no intention of putting together all the science and research that um, is in the book. But a friend of mine said to me, he goes, you're going to have to explain why this work. And that sent me on this journey. And so in the conversation, and this was a former colleague of mine who knew what I was doing and was an advocate. So he was interested in it and was wanting to help me. And 
he just said, you need to figure out why it worked for you and then go explain it to people. And I, it sounds so obvious, you know, I'm going to write a book. I'm like, oh, and it never crossed my mind. So I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? So I started thinking about, okay, I had people routinely, you read the book, scale mountains for me. Didn't matter whether they were male or female, you know, age didn't matter, education didn't mm. matter, job didn't matter, yeah. everything I ever managed happened to be this way. And so I thought, okay, so what is it? Like, what was I doing? And I had this epiphany that I was affecting the hearts in people. Mm. And I went inside, I, at the end of the day, I went and told my wife that I've wasted my life because... <laughs> that there's no way anybody's going to take this seriously. And I'd spent like 10 months working on this book. I was just about mm. to write it. And this friend of mine tells me, you better figure it out. I figure it out. And then I think, well, I'm doomed because everybody's going to think this is complete nonsense and crazy mm. and a yes, spiritualist, yes. he's a religious nut. And uh, nobody says bring heart into leadership. Mm. And my wife goes, well, didn't you already prove it like through your own experience right. so there has to be evidence for it and i was like that was the best thing she could ever said to me i quit it so bottom line is i reached out to a world-class cardiologist cardio surgeon heart surgeon right. and she is was in my neighborhood but she happens to be the real deal graduating top of her class mm -hmm. she's written two new york times best-selling books that kind of caliber person and i just said hey i'm writing you because i believe i was affecting the hearts and people and is there any science that could support this is there any science that would validate mm -hmm. this and i went to her office happened to be in my hometown where i live but I walked into her office, Ross, she didn't even get out of her chair. She just looked at me and she said, Mr. Crowley, you're figuring out something we're just figuring out in medicine. Mm. She said, we've always believed that the heart was just a pump and that all of our cognition is in the brain. Mm. And she goes, it's just simply not true. That the heart and the mind are connected and there's communication going back and forth between the heart and the mind all day long uh, with the yeah. heart sending more communication to the mind. And so with her research that she had done because she became curious and then she introduced me to an organization called the Institute of Heart Math, which is in California that has been studying the intelligence of the heart for the past hundred years. And by the way, or excuse me, the past 30 years. Hmm. And there are now other researchers looking into this, but the bottom line is we now know that the heart is not just the pump, that it has its own form of intelligence. It's formed in the embryo first. So it's like nature said, we're gonna put you in charge, not the brain. Right. And, and I think you know the most important thing is, is that we've learned that feelings and emotions drive human behavior. We think we're rational beings, but it's feelings and emotions that really motivate our behavior. That's so, so true, yep. So true. So, and, uh, so it was just pleasant to hear you say that because I'm the same. I, I can validate what I've read in the book because it's my own experience in the corporate world, which is similar to yours in financial services for a similar length of time. So we've come from a similar background in that, in that respect. But you've done the research to validate it or found the research to validate it, which is that's my where I believe it's, it's going to have some impact. So you're saying um, in your book, you mentioned that 75% of the participants in a in a 2021 uh, American Psycholo Psychological Association 
Psychological Association survey said that most stress, the most stressful aspect of the job was interacting with their immediate boss. So how does leading from the heart help here? How do you think? Well, I mean, so you have to think, okay, so what are bosses doing that would make 75% of workers least joyful, least happy? Mm, right. So you got your co they, I mean, they like their work better. Like they'll do the work, but it's the boss interaction. And so what are the behaviors? Well, there's, they don't think about how they make people feel. So for one thing. So we're not sensitive to what people are going through in their lives. So if I said to you, Russ, I need this report to you and I don't care what time you get, you go home tonight, but you don't go home until you get this mm. done. Well, if you have a little child at home, how yeah. is that going to stick with you, right? Mm. And we This is maybe like somebody might say, well, that's, that's a ridiculous example, but it's not. These are the it's kinds not, of things uh, that uh, happen all the time. And, and I think we also think that the role of a manager is to fault fine. So I can say, well, Ross, you're not doing this very well and you're not doing this very well. And you know, you got this to me late. And so what have I done? I've just made you feel horrible. Right. And you're thinking to yourself, does he notice anything I do well here? Does he see that I work on the weekends or I get in here at six every day and I've finished this project with, with great success? I mean, is this guy ever happy? Is he ever satisfied? Right. So, and so I think we need a new orientation of making managers a coach, because if we see them as coaches, if we see ourselves as a coach, you're going to become an advocate for people. You're not going to criticize, for, you know, like if you were coaching a soccer team, football team, or a basketball team, you're not yelling out, you're playing like crap. That's stupid what you just did there. Uh, you're not going to get a team to succeed that way. And yet... Right. That's how we operate in business. Yeah, no, that, that's it. Look, at the end of the day, when when you've got negative energy, you're not producing as, as effectively as you are. You're more likely to make mistakes because your mind is in a different space. Like you're not going to be highly effective if you just spent three days mourning someone's passing or something, right? But when you've got positive energy and, it's, and you're enjoying yourself, that's when you feel energized and want to put in. But they just don't seem to get that. Just makes such a mess. I don't difference. understand why, because yeah. the, the minute you compliment someone, the minute you say uh, thank you to someone, the minute you say, you got that to me a week early. Wow. Thank you. Awesome. Right. You can see what you can see the energy shift in people. So I it, it's it's mystifying to me. But I think part of it is that a lot of times managers don't trust themselves. They don't believe they have the power to influence people. So when push comes to shove, let's sell, let's say we're selling boats um, and we have a goal of five boats a week. Okay. So at the beginning of the week, we go, okay, we're going to sell our five boats and we get till Thursday and we've only sold one. So you kind of let it go. And then next week, you have another goal of five, but you're four behind from the week behind, right? So now mm. you're up to Wednesday or Thursday and you've only sold two. So you're like, wait a minute, we've sold three boats. We need to sell 10. I'm going to be in trouble here. Mm. So you have two options. You can bring people in and say, hey, let's brainstorm. We're way behind. I know we can do this. We're boat sellers. We know our jobs. We're really good at this. We're a little bit behind. How can we step it up and make our goal? Or 
we can go into, there's nothing I can do except manage people by fear. And so we start saying, hey, Ross, look, man, if you don't hit your, your boat goal, something could happen to you. I may have to write you up. It could mm -hmm. end up leading to, you know. So now, to your point about energy, <laughs> you're marinating in negative energy. Yeah, you're your focus is on <laughs> emotion, right? <laughs> so I've done more harm to you. But managers think that's the only way. So you're going to work your ass off to get near boat sales, but you're going to be so resentful and you're going to be so angry at me for managing you that way that yeah. it's unsustainable. Yeah, it's right. It's not sustainable. It's it's. Yeah. I, I totally agree, and it's just one of the. For me, that's one of the key aspects. If the attitude is right, and you get people's attitude right, and, and more of a happier belief in themselves, man, they can produce. When they do it the opposite, well, we don't, we don't, we're all sad at a funeral in a sense, and we don't have any energy. It sucks the life out of you when you're really sad. So, but that happens in workplaces. People get sad or made sad because of what they're getting from their from their boss. That's anyway. I won't wrap it on there. I want to be talking to you here. There's there's one interesting thing I uh, I was reading. Uh, when I was young, I spent time with friends who owned a dairy farm. And all their cows had a name. Now, I never knew why they bothered with that. I thought, that's nice. So we had, we had all the different names that I had to remember. So until, But now I know until, when I read the book, I go, ah, that's why these people used to call the cows by name. So how does that relate to leadership? Well, um, there's an energy there, right? Yeah. So, it, I mean, you think about it, if you're going to have cows, you know, like a small farm where you probably grew up. Yeah. Are you going to call them number four cow? I, I'm going to go out and milk number five, you know, and then I'm going to get to number seven. Yeah, I mean, these are these are animals that are providing food for you. They're providing milk and cheese mm. and everything, right? And they're, they're, there's no reason not to love those animals for what they're doing for you. And so we call them things like daisy and buttercup yeah. and... You got these lovely, lovely names, right? Yeah. And then we get into business and we go, knock that crap off. We, mm. we, we're going to give them a number. And so they become A67 or A68 and there's no love. Well, there's now science that proves that when you name a cow that, and I think it's 6% greater for milk production simply by naming it. Hmm. because just like us cows are are sentient beings which means they can feel our energy and so when we go hey buttercup how are you doing they feel that connection they feel right. what translates into love really honestly right. that's right. what it is right yeah. so if you're milking a cow like you're milking a machine you know like you're pumping gas into your car the cow can feel that too hmm. So they're like it's like almost like a like a, a parallel to employee engagement you know yeah, yeah. you start treating people like they don't matter like they're just there to produce and that's all that matters people feel that and in response they give you less yeah yeah and that's it's just that because when you mention like a cow's name or someone's name there's always a basically a, a feeling of, of more of love it's because it, it's connecting but when you don't mention names, that's like you're one step further away in, the, in that connection. So I think just, just, I mean, I, I know some people yell at you <laughs> using a name, 
but generally speaking, when you mention a name, it's it's a closer connection because you're bothered to actually call him by that. So I can you, understand. Well, I, mean, I think it was Dale Carnegie who was the first person to say, you know, if you just want to build rapport with someone, use their name. Yeah, because yeah. it's the most personal thing about us, right? right. And honoring, yeah. you're honoring people by using it. Yeah. You know, I just want to tie up a couple things that you said. You know, I never intended to get all the research. I never intended to do that. I did it because I realized that inevitably the only way that people were going to take this seriously was if I had the data. If I had the research that made it irrefutable. So people couldn't go, oh, he must be a religious nut talking about yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand that. You know, yeah. Or someone who doesn't understand business, right? But um, so I, I almost think that that was the universe gift to me because what I knew it to be true, but by going out and finding the evidence, I knew I was right, like more, like, you know, yeah. it was, completely reinforced that well my god like you don't realize what you're you have like an idea here that is so profoundly true and one of the things that i learned goes to your notion of energy that like we think about telling somebody you know you didn't get this done on time or the way you're doing this assignment isn't the way i want it or whatever or telling somebody, hey, I really appreciate the effort you're putting into this. I know you're a little bit behind, but you'll catch up and you're doing really good work. Mm -hmm. The difference between those two, I've learned, is that human beings are hardwired to thrive on positive emotions. Yeah. Like we yeah. in order to survive. And that gives and us the energy to do what we need to do. It does. And, mm -hmm. and we need a minimum, a minimum of four to one ratio. Yeah. So, and I always believe that life is just hard enough that you're going to get negative energy just by waking up, you know, yeah, right? Yeah. Coffee pot doesn't work or your car doesn't start or you're in traffic. You're already marinating in negative emotions. Mm. So it really comes down, if that's the case, if you need four to one, then managers should be extremely positive. Find ways to acknowledge people. Find yeah. ways to thank people. Find ways to teach people. Find ways to use their name. You use their name and it's like bing, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, that's right. It does. Thank you for it's using such my a name. difference. You know? Yeah. yeah. Such a difference. There's one, one last bit of research well, it also uh, I, I enjoyed was um, was the fact that you, it was that seeking, where well, you mentioned was that seeking power rather than wanting to empower was actually bad for your health. <laughs> Can you right. elaborate on that one? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's, the people that need power, they need control over other people. And so they're living from a place of stress to begin with, mm -hmm. right? I've got to find a way to keep command over you. Hey, That's a hey. very, very stressful thing. And to be living that all of the time versus teaching somebody to do the job, laying out the expectations, telling you're going to be held accountable, and then trusting to let them do it. That's it's like, right. I'm trusting you to go do your job. That's a healthier way to live. Mm -hmm. So when we're stressed, when I'm feeling like I need to overpower you and command you, I'm going to say things to you and do things to you that make you feel like I'm under, you're under my thumb. Mm -hmm. 
And when I'm doing that, I'm creating a stress. And when we have stress in our body, it creates cortisol. And cortisol is meant to keep us from being eaten by a lion that's running after hey, us, hey. not to be living in, you know, marriage. Hey, hey. not all the time. So it cuts down on our life expectancy. Hey, hey. Our hungry people don't live very long. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They don't live to 100 and start reflecting and sure. saying things. You're right. And then one last thing. Um, before we go like spending too much so in essence people are spending too or executives are spending too much time in their headspace not and not listening to their heart what hints do you have for people to reverse that how can they activate great, from their heart it's a great question um and i really appreciate the fact that you read the book and know the book um and so let's start off with the premise that when we hire managers at any level, we've been conditioned to believe that we need the smartest people possible, the brainiac. So we don't give any consideration to the heart. Historically, we've like, keep the heart out, like leave your troubles at the door. We used to tell people, Just come yeah. in and do your job. I don't care if you've got a kid sick at home or um, elderly parent. I don't care if you're having financial problems, getting divorced, none of my business. Just do your work, right? Yeah. Keep it yeah. away. And we know that that just doesn't work. But I think what what's really, you know, what we've really come to realize is that there are two forms of intelligence. It's not just the mind. The heart is a form of intelligence. It's where intuition comes from. Yeah. And so it's interesting because Daniel Kahneman, who is a brainiac, one of the smartest people on the planet, he says, let's say you have a, a big decision to make. You're gonna, whether you take a new job, move to another town, marry somebody, big, big life decisions, spend $10 million to buy another business, whatever, okay? The whole range. He said, what you do is you do a Ben Franklin. You do the pros and cons. You do all the analytics possible. You look at all the data, you do the analysis. If there's math involved, do the math. Hmm. Look at all of that from an analytical standpoint. And then he said, and once you've done that, the final decision, give it to the heart. Ask your heart, is this the right thing to do? So, you know, if I could, like this new golf thing in Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, these guys are making, you know, tens of millions of dollars for just showing up for golf because the Saudis want to give them the money and interrupt, you know, this disrupt the PGA, basically. Uh, uh, well, but there's values there. Right. There's yeah. like you know, we know that there's some some dark sides to um, this whole enterprise. And yet these guys, went, you know, that's a lot of money. Well, I think they're going to regret it because yeah. it compromises their values in yeah. a sense that they're in many ways. They're not even earning the money. They're not even playing for it. It's not compared to what it used to be. So this may sound like it's off topic, but what I'm really saying is that if you ask your heart, is this the right thing to do? It might not be, hmm. but really, I think at the end of the day, it's true of anything. It's like, if, if you're about to get married and you're about to propose, and you've been going out with someone for a while, but you're just still not sure. Yeah, yeah. You think about it, you think, well, we've been together for two years and you go through all that. And then you ask your heart, if your heart says, 
I'm not sure, Ross. You mm. know, trust it because hey. it. I really believe it's the highest form of intelligence. It's connected to something bigger than us. Yeah, I it's agree. Higher, I agree. It's our higher self. Is really mm. um, ignoring the golf analogy. People might be able to relate to that in terms of just taking money and ignoring that there's any values that you're you're compromising something to take all that money. I, I think it's 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 a question of when you're managing people, are you going to make decisions that will benefit all people or just you? So if I lay off 20 people from my team of 50, mm. I can save money. And by saving money, I drive up my profit. And by driving my profit, I get a bigger bonus. So I'm going to let 20 people go. Mm. Is that the right thing for the business? Is that the right thing for the people? Is that the right thing for the future of the organization? Probably not. But if you're listening to your mind, your mind's going to go, hey, you're going to get like a $150,000 bonus for doing this. So let these people go. Uh, and uh, I think this is where we get into trouble in business. And it is. When the heart and the mind aren't congruent, that to me just creates greater health problems, all these sorts of issues, because your heart will gnaw away at you. If you've done, if, if you've gone against your heart, it'll bug you, it'll gnaw you. And it's like anything, we do something when we make a decision that the heart wants to do, it's such a release, it's such a, ah, yes, I've done it. And to me, some that's people, the key. Some people are so detached from that feeling, yeah, yeah. so detached from their hearts that they don't even listen, they can't even connect into it. And they're missing a whole form of intelligence. I, you know, you're evolved. You, you, you will listen to your heart. You'll balance the two, which is really what my argument is. I don't want to lead only from the heart. We yeah. don't want to lead only uh, from it's the a balance. It's a balance. It has to be a balance. But when you're in balance, so for example, let's go back to the layoff. So I have 50 people and I'm tempted. The devil on my shoulder is saying, if you let these people go, give them a severance, you're going to get huge return. You're going to get the bonus that you've mm. always wanted. You go buy the mansion you want. Okay. So that's all very seductive to me. Yeah. If you look at the heart, you're going to go, okay, what's this going to do? What's this going to do to the organization long-term? People aren't going to want to work for me because they're not going to trust me. I'm losing talent. I'm losing people who understand this business. It's going to be hard to go and replace them. I may pay a price in terms of the profit further down the road. Hmm. But also, is that is that how I want to be as a human being? Just exploit people like that? Hmm. So when you're touching your heart, your heart's going to go, well, what's another way you could do this? Hmm. So if you went out and said, hey, everybody, we're struggling as a company right now. And I if, if we all take a 5% pay cut, we can save $500,000 and that's what we need in order to get through the next six months. Mm. And if we get through the next six months, we bring everybody back to their normal stuff. So now everybody's making a sacrifice. Nobody gets laid off. Everybody feels like they're rowing in the boat. Mm. People are being asked to make a sacrifice, but it's not a huge one because everybody's spread, including the manager. This is just an option of saying, there are more options for CEOs and managers than just lopping people off the first trouble they get into. Hey, hey, it's got past the obvious. Hey. And the heart will tell you that if you hey. listen to it. Hey. And that's it's there again, you make that decision. It's far more you're far more relaxed. It's just a relief to, to actually listen to your heart. 
but you had what's, you, what's really interesting yeah. is um i i interviewed a gentleman who um he's i suddenly can't think of his name but he's the ceo of the carlisle group huge huge hedge fund and uh david rubenstein and he's interviewed he's got a show on bloomberg and he's interviewed hundreds of, of like the highest caliber of people the people like steve jobs and those kinds of people and what he told me was that people like steve jobs and jeff bezos that their genius is that they're operating out of their heart all of the time yeah. like they're literally making intuition decisions they're not they're looking at data and they're looking at the information, but at the end of the day, they're going off of what their instinct tells them is the best thing. Also the founder of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, mm. he looks at the data, but when he designed his stores and when he comes up with this benefit package for his employees, he thinks about what's this going to do in terms of feelings for people? And what's this going to do in terms of long-term benefit for this organization? And he goes off of his feelings. So it's 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 an, a tremendous disadvantage for any manager any longer not to have access to both mind and heart. Yeah, totally agree. They've got to be in congruence. Got to be congruent with each other. Well, Mark, thanks for being a guest on uh, Soul Inspire Leadership's podcast today. And we we could talk for hours <laughs> on some of this subject matter. But uh, look, there again, I, I recommend people to uh, grab Mark's book, and I'll have the details at the bottom of the notes in the podcast. Because I do think it's it's a it's a break it, to me to me it just it'll open up so much um, influence so much create so much influence in leadership going forward because it's a shift from the way leadership was perceived to now way the leadership has to be has to be going forward. Um, so thanks again for being on the show and thank you listeners for listening to both Mark and I have a chat. Thank you. Thank you.